from Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. And on today's show, I go solo to talk about fast fashion, how clothes are made, and the reason I decide to make the all-American dress my version of the perfect denim dress. I also share my real reaction to when a piece of my closet I love no longer fit and the work I had to put in to make it work for my lifestyle. Hello, lovelies. So it's another new design that's out, and that means that it is another solo episode. And I gotta say really love doing these and I actually heard recently from a lot of you who listen and love the podcast that you love them also so yay let's dive right in um there are two main things that I wanted to talk about with the all-american dress which is my version of the perfect denim dress it's also really my version of the perfect shirt dress really the perfect button-down dress I chose to do it in denim and I'll tell you why uh in a little bit um but it's, but it's really, it was really about tackling that button down, uh, to be perfectly honest. And the two main things that I wanted to talk about here were fast fashion and production and pricing. And I have a sneaky feeling. I mean, I, I hope that this is interesting to someone who is not me, but I have a sneaky feeling it is. Cause I know that this is the kind of stuff that you lovelies care about. And I know that this is the kind of stuff that nobody really talks about and it really is kind of the dark underbelly of fashion in a lot of ways and then uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was how I've realized more with this dress than with any other that my entire approach to design and how I go about making decisions both for the clothes and also just for the business has really I mean, like to say that it's so cliche at this point. Yes, the pandemic has changed our lives. But also, I really noticed it with this design. I really noticed the differences in the way that I've been conducting myself over the past, I guess, two years, conducting my business over the past two years. And and I wanted to share some of those with you today also. So let's dive right in. First, we're going to talk about fast fashion. So for anyone who's not familiar with the term, fast fashion is a it's 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 a term i guess it's a it's used uh to describe the very quick pace that general fashion tends to move at so when i say general fashion you're, you're i'm talking about two different areas what we think of as like consumer fashion so think about you know you go to the mall you buy a dress that kind of thing and also uh runway fashion so pre-pandemic and actually there's been a lot of talk about this in the wider designer community among lots of brands at all different price points, um, that the way that things were conducted pre-pandemic were really not sustainable. And when I say sustainable, I don't just mean in terms of environmental impact. I also mean in terms of like being able to keep up with the rat race of. There are some lines that did 10 or 15 collections a year, 10 to 15 collections a year, um, which is huge. (laughs) I can't overstate just how much work something like that is. I mean, you're talking about, you know, a lot of these collections, especially, you know, the main collections are generally be about four main collections. Those could easily have, you know, a hundred pieces in them. And 
then they would do these smaller collections in between and they would, you know, be doing these constant drops. And it was this, I mean, fashion in general is a rat race, but you're talking about a rat race uh, using that schedule and the environmental impact of that, especially, you know, listen, when you have a collection that has 100 pieces in it, maybe 30, maybe are going to end up in stores, are going to end up actually being worn. Um, And the rest is much more about spectacle and much more about that, you know, looking like the cool kid than it is about actually making things that people are going to wear. And there is an argument to be made that to a certain extent, fashion is art and there should be room for that as, you know, fashion as an artistic expression. And I do hear it. And I do, and I do think that there's room for that. But I also think that, listen, definitely from a business sustainability part, um, but also just from a, I think that clothes are meant to be worn. You know, I think that clothes are meant to be enjoyed. Um, You know, they're not meant to just sit in your closet. They're certainly not meant to just sit in a showroom somewhere. Um, And yeah, there's room for the designers to do that. But I, I fall way on the practical side of this thing. So there's, there's that aspect of fast fashion. But when we really say fast fashion, we're talking about, um, about disposable clothes. You know, you're talking about brands like Zara, H&M, um, you know, those kinds of things that brands that are constantly pumping out new designs that where the cost, the price, I should say, not necessarily the cost of those pieces get cheaper and cheaper. You know, they're kind of designed for you to be spending, you know, for you to be buying an entire new wardrobe every season, sometimes even two or three times a season. And what that does to us as consumers, what that does to us as inhabitants of this planet, I don't know. It's not, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't know how much you care. I don't know how much you care. You very well might not. Personally, I think you should, but that's just my own personal opinion here. Um, fashion is one of the highest polluting industries in the world. And that has to do with the chemicals used in fabric manufacturing, dyes and things like that, that end up in runoff into water. Uh, and it also has to do with the fact that a good chunk of what gets made never gets worn. Uh, and a good chunk of what gets made ends up in landfills really quickly. And a good chunk of what gets made gets worn for a season or two and then gets thrown out. And because it doesn't hold up as well, it can't be repaired. So even if you wanted to, you know, take something from, let's say, Zara and reuse it or repurpose it or hold on to it as an heirloom piece, hold on to it for years and years, you couldn't do it because, you know, you'd wash it enough times and it would fall apart. So that's also what we mean by fast fashion. And that also ties in directly to pricing. (laughs) It ties in directly to pricing. So when you're making something that's meant to be disposable, essentially, when you're making something that's meant to be replaced every six weeks, uh, in some cases, then in, not in some cases, I don't know if you, definitely with influencer culture, when you'd be like, oh, Zara Halls, and they're doing one every once a month or something like that, you can't, I mean, I don't know, maybe some people are super wealthy and can afford to be spending a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of cash on that, or if it's part of their business or job or whatever, that's up to them. I don't judge how anyone spends their money, but, but for most people that's out of reach. So what ends up happening is that because those pieces need to sell at a certain price point at a certain very cheap price point, 
not only quality suffers, but people suffer. Um, and this is something that I'm particularly passionate about. And I, I never know exactly how to approach this because I don't want it to sound like just go buy my clothes. Um, I mean, yeah, go buy my clothes. But also the reason why I'm particularly passionate about this is because I think that we have lost touch with what it actually takes to make the clothes that we wear. And I'm actually reminded of the conversation that I had here on the podcast with the Gottiner of Homegrown Kosher. And she was talking about how the piece, you know, how, how we've lost touch with where our food comes from. And I can 100% say that for me, as someone who does not grow anything, you know, as someone who doesn't really understand where food comes from, I 100% have. Food grows in a grocery store. That's, you know, you go, you pick up what you need, and you move on with your life. Um, but that's obviously not the case. <laughs> that's obviously not where things come from. And I do think that to a certain extent, we've lost sight of where our clothes come from. And one of the most fascinating conversations that I've had, um, with followers or with people in general is, has just been, you know, I'll always show the process of making the clothes, excuse me, the process of making the clothes, usually um, on my Instagram, and I, I show it because I think it's awesome. <laughs> um, and also because I want to establish that connection that stuff is really, stuff really does need to be made properly by people. And one of the most fascinating conversations that I had recently was somebody said, I didn't realize that people had to make clothes. She didn't know. She didn't realize. She said, you assume that if there's a, you know, she's like, you hear, oh, it was made by machine. So you assume that there's a machine that maybe a person has to press a button, but that it's not really made by hand. She said, but these are really made by hand. And the truth is most clothing is made by hand in that way. Now, when I say that something is hand sewn, that usually means that a machine is not involved. That usually means that there's someone sitting there with a needle and thread. Um, and when we say that something is machine sewn, it means that there's a person operating a machine, but operating a sewing machine is not a hands-off process by any stretch of the imagination. It's not a, you know, it's not, you know, the kind of thing where you can press a button and move on. It is still a tedious process. It is something that takes time. And when it's done properly, it is something that leads to really superior quality. It's the kind of thing where a, you know, a sewing machine is a tool. It's not the be all and end all. And, you know, it was when I was having this conversation with someone who said that she didn't realize that there were people who still, you know, that people still have to make the clothes. That was when I realized, you know, this is, this is what I want to talk about here on this episode, because yeah, people have to make your clothes. And the thing that I'm particularly passionate about is, for me, clothes are so, they're meaningful, right? Clothes can transform the way that we feel about ourselves. They can transform the way we feel about the people around us. They can, they can signify that we belong to a certain group or not. They can, they have such power in that way. And part of the sacredness of that process is the creation process of those clothes. And I'm always striving for, you know, I've, you've heard me talk a lot about a happy closet, right? To me, a happy, happy clothes are clothes that get worn. And I never want to be the piece in anybody's closet that doesn't get worn. And to me, part of a happy closet is knowing that 
the people who made the clothes, you know, the women who sat at the sewing machine, because it's usually women, um, are, when I say treated properly, I mean treated decently. And I mean, listen, you can Google fast fashion abuse and you don't need me to tell you that if you're paying, you know, 15, 20, $30 for a dress, somebody somewhere is getting taken advantage of. And that is not something that I want to have any part in, in any way. It's not something that I buy. It's not something that I, I, I can't imagine taking a design that you put so much heart and energy into and then handing that to a child to produce or to someone, you know, getting paid pennies for the day or to someone who is not allowed proper bathroom breaks. And I know that this sounds like something that, that like, oh yeah, well this used to happen. And then we like put in labor laws and then now that's not a thing that happens in this country. In most cases, um, that's not to say that everything made in this country in the United States is made ethically. Unfortunately, that's not true. Um, but you do have a better shot than uh, things made in other countries, but it's, but especially if you have things that are made in other countries, then unless you're there, it's really difficult to know what, um, what's really happening with the way that designs are getting made. And I felt appropriate to talk about this with the All-American Dress just because, you know, proudly made in the USA and all of that. And I am, and I'm really, I really am proud of the fact that the entire collection is made here in New York City in the Garment District for a couple of reasons. Number one, I love the garment district is not what it used to be. And I love that I get to play a very small part in keeping manufacturing in the city alive. Even though, like I said, small part, but we're, we're still here kicking and screaming. And I, and I love what that means in terms of quality, because let's listen, I talk to all sorts of designers and all sorts of brands. And there is nobody who is not, who produces overseas, who has not had a shipment show up that is worth thousands of dollars and it's completely unusable for one quality issue or another. It's depending on the brand, sometimes they'll fix it, sometimes they won't, depending on their relationship with the factory, sometimes they have more options, sometimes they won't. Um, but you really do get the ability to be, to, the ability to quality control really what you're getting um, is so much easier when something is local and I am New York City based so that is there as well and also allows you to build a real relationship with the people that you're that you're working with. And the fact that I have a real relationship with the people who, you know, who sew the collection is important to me because I really do think of it as a wider, you know, with what I hope to accomplish with my designs is making, is giving women who choose to dress modestly the option of cute clothes in proper sizing that works well for them, right? And that makes them feel fantastic. That's what, that's what I hope to accomplish with my designs. And I don't want to accomplish that while taking advantage of anybody. I don't want to accomplish that while, while mistreating anybody. I think that that goes against everything that I'm trying to do. So it's, yeah, it's a part of it. And yes, it's reflected in the price. (laughs) It's things in New York are expensive. They just are. If for no other reason than the minimum wage in New York city is $15 an hour. So, you know, as it should be, honestly. I don't think that you can live in the city on less than that. And I want the people who are, you know, really making my designs 
have the ability to afford their basic life needs. And, and there's a trade-off as well, because when someone is paid properly and when someone is doing the work properly, the end product is that much better, right? (laughs) The end product, the end, you know, the quality that you're getting out of this process is, I mean, it's, you, I mean, you can't compare, you really can't compare. So all of that has been really kind of top of mind. So I did want to highlight that, that the clothes are made by real people and, and what that means, you know, and, and what all that, what all that, you know, how all that translates, I guess, into, you know, into, into the piece. One last thing about price before uh, I move on is um, I did just want to point out that on the site, there is an option to split your uh, order into four payments. And I'm not pointing this out so that, you know, go buy my dresses. I'm not pointing this out for that reason. Um, I'm pointing this out because I do know that for a lot of women, the designs that I make are part of a very limited catalog of options that they have to choose from and they may be outside of their price point so this is something that I offer to make it a little bit more accessible for some people who might need that you know who might need kind of like that slight meeting in the middle Um, so there is an option to split your order into four payments it will not affect your credit and um, and your order will get shipped right away so um, you can select that option at checkout and you know and proceed that way that um, if that does make a difference then I'm very happy for you I do want to say that if buying for me is something that you can't afford please don't buy um, like I said I want to be part of happy closets and if now is not the time there will be other times I promise um, and 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 I'm not going anywhere so even if this dress is not one that you get um that you get to take advantage of um I don't know whether or not I'll be coming back at this point so if you know even if you miss this one there will be others and 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 don't you know don't fast fashion is all about keeping up with the Joneses right fast fashion is all about trends that are constantly changing and 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 always and that moving target that you're never supposed to be able to hit right we're not about that here so if this is not if this is not the right time, then it is not the right time. And if it is, then you know where to find me. And if being able to split your purchase into four payments makes it the right time, then that's an option for you as well. So the All-American Dress, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, is my version of, it started out as my version of the perfect denim dress, and then it morphed into my version of the perfect button-down anything. Um, so I... Okay, here's why I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. I wanted to make a denim dress because I have a denim dress in my closet um, that no longer fits me, which sucks. We can acknowledge that that sucks. (laughs) It's not fun when a dress that you really love no longer fits. And the truth is that this one never really fit great. Um, It was okay. It was never like amazing. Um, And I had to do a ton of work to it when I bought it. And I mean a ton. Um, it was a V-neck dress, so the V was way too low for me, so that needed to be filled in. I did not want to wear a shell. And it was also way too short. So when I first got the dress, I put a ton of work into it. Now, I am in the position where, like, for me, it was kind of a fun project, so I just did the work myself. Um, if I were, 
like if I were bringing it to someone to do, I probably put the equivalent of like, I want to say like between somewhere between like 50 and $70 worth of work into this dress. Um, and what I did was, was that I created a dickie to, um, that was sewn down on one side and snapped on the other to fill in that V. I found a, a denim that matched pretty close to the denim of the actual dress and I lengthened it. I added maybe like eight inches to the bottom of it. And then I did a lot of stitching work to match the stitching. I was very, I still am very into that. If I'm, if I'm altering something, you know, for modesty purposes, like if I'm adding something to the bottom, then I'll add it somewhere else on the dress also so that it doesn't look kind of added on, you know, it doesn't look quite as copy and paste. So what I did was, was that I did the stitching detail all the way around, like in rows and rows and rows, all the way around the bottom of that denim dress so that, um, and then I added it, that dress had a belt. So I added that same stitching detail to the belt so that it looked, um, kind of cohesive and it worked. It worked really well. One problem, I guess that, that, um, I should note that this was during a time in my life when I had more time and I could do like, you know, two, three, four hour projects on my clothes. Now is no longer that time in my life, but you know, simpler times. <laughs> um, one of the, one of the problems that I had with the alterations that I did to that particular denim dress was that the dickie never really laid flat. If I would have sewn it down on both sides, then obviously it would have, but I, if I would have done that, then it would have been really hard to get it in and out of, and I would have had to add a zipper elsewhere and I didn't want to do that. So I added, instead I had like seven or eight snaps that ran down the side of one one of the sides of the V, um, to keep it from popping away from me. Cause when it was popping away from me, again, I wasn't wearing anything underneath and it was like a direct view to my boobs. And that was not something that I was interested in showcasing. Um, and, and once the work was finished, it was fantastic. And it became something that I loved and I wore it everywhere. I remember wearing it. I would wear it like every day, just on, you know, if, I was running errands and that kind of thing. I would also wear it. I remember like putting it on with great heels and I wore it to, um, was it to a seam that my sister made? I don't remember exactly, but it was like a nicer kind of thing, like a kid's birthday party even, or like an upsharing or, you know, all those, uh, just, you know, like those, like not fancy events, but like nicer stuff. And it was, and it worked so well with all of those, you know, all of that category, I guess you could say of events and, and I just loved it. I got so much use out of it. It was fantastic. And then a soft fitting, um, which I think that we should take a moment to acknowledge that that sucks. It does. Now, I think that acknowledging that when something no longer fits you, particularly because it's gotten too small, which is what happened in this case, it's not like I don't. We know that our bodies change throughout our lives and that's normal. And that's, and that's normal, but also it sucks. And I think that both of those things can be true. And what I actually, um, I actually had a great conversation with, um, with my friend, Rachel Tuckman, who we've been having lots of conversations with over the course of this winter. Um, I had a, I had something that happened, um, that I wanted to talk over with her and, and it, and it was related to, um, it, it, it was related to my body. What had happened was that, um, I was weighed and the number was much higher than I was expecting it to be. And, um, at the time that that happened, I hadn't been weighed in years. So I really had no idea 
what it would be. And then I heard a number and I freaked out and it, and it, and it really threw me for a loop. It really did. And I kind of thought that that was something that I had moved past. You know, I kind of thought that I had reached this comfort level where I didn't care how much I weighed. And and I realized that that was not so true. And I was talking to Rachel about it. And one of the things that she said was, you know, what she said was, okay, so you heard that number. Now what? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do about that now? Are you go- are you going to start, you know, restricting what you eat? Are you going to start working out like crazy? Are you going to start are you going to start obsessing about that? Or can we just acknowledge that you heard that number? You didn't like it, but now you can go on and continue living your life. And that was really it was really helpful for me. Um and that was eventually the approach that I did take. I needed a minute, <laughs> you know. I definitely needed a minute to just, I guess, I accept that I had gotten objectively larger. I don't know. Like it's, it's still hard to articulate, but it was, but it was very interesting either way. And I think that we can take the same approach with our clothes. Yes, it sucks when clothes that we love no longer fit us, but then what are we going to do about it? And I hope that it becomes a little bit easier as we get a little bit more used to the fact that our bodies change and that's normal, I hope it becomes a little bit easier to not do anything or to continue working towards having a really healthy approach to food and to the way that we treat ourselves and to be kinder to ourselves overall. So either way, I couldn't wear the dress anymore. And it became one of those sad pieces in my closet, right? Became one of those sad pieces that I'm looking at. And every time I'm looking at it, it's just making me sad. And then shortly thereafter, I did a major uh, clean out of my closet and I did get rid of that dress, Um, you know, donated it. And I'm glad that I did because it will make someone so, so, so happy. And then I decided, you know, there were things about that dress that I didn't love. And I had to do a ton of work to that dress to make it wearable in the first place. So... I wonder if I can make one from scratch that'll be, you know, that will solve all the things that I love, all the things that I didn't love about the dress that I really, really loved, if that makes any sense. And then as I was thinking about that in general, you know, could I make a really great denim dress? I was thinking, you know, the real problem are these stupid buttons. That's the real problem. Because when you think about button down things, they're just not cute. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have never met anyone who can gracefully do the button down thing unless it's super oversized. It's just, it just doesn't work. I just, I, they pop open. They don't lay right. They don't, um, they just don't lay right. And then when they pop open, then you're feeling super exposed. And then even if you're not popping open, you're just worrying the whole time that they will pop open. This is also like my own base Yakov uniform trauma coming out a little bit, but either way, it's just not, button downs are just hard. So I was like, that's it. That's where I'm going to that's where I'm going to spend my time. I really, I want to replace this denim dress, but what I also really want to do is that I want to make a really great shirt dress and then we'll fabricate it in denim, you know, um, which is what ended up happening, which is what ended up happening with the all American dress. And the thing that I realized while I was working on this dress is that the problem with buttons 
in general, the problems with button-down designs, is that there isn't enough coverage behind the buttons. Because what happens is, is that plackets are, a placket is the part of a garment where the buttons and buttons ho- and buttonholes are. So if you imagine like a classic blouse or a classic men's shirt, there's usually an extra piece of fabric that the buttons and buttonholes are attached to. That's called the placket. And plackets are always designed symmetrical. So that means that the front placket, the part with the buttonholes, and the back placket, the part with the buttons, because it's the back placket because the buttons poke through to the buttonholes, those, um, they're always the same width. So unless you have a really fat placket on both pieces, then the amount of coverage that you're getting in the back is usually just about an inch or so which doesn't give you much room for give. It doesn't give you much room for give. It also doesn't give you much room to generally kind of move around. And it means that if you are wearing something, like even if you're like a little bit bloated, then it pops open. And it also means that especially if you are larger on top, and I'm not that big. I'm really not that big on top. You're talking to like a solid B cup, maybe. So Even in my case, where, like, I do not have much boob to speak of, even in my case, around around your boobs is where you'll get that extra gap, because that's where that seam is taking on that extra strain, essentially. So you need something, first of all, that's patterned properly so that you're not taking on too much extra strain. And then you also need just a little bit more coverage in that back placket. Because if you had more coverage there, then even if the buttons gapped, which they will gap less if it's patterned properly, but even if they do, you're not exposed because there's just not, because there's fabric there. There's fabric there behind. So I started experimenting. So why can't we make an uneven placket? Why can't we make a placket that has a... A, you know, a fatter back essentially so that you can, so that you can't see through. Turns out there's no good reason why you can't. And it took me a couple tries to figure it out. Um, but you can totally do it. <laughs> That's what the All-American Dress is. Um, the All-American Dress, if you, and there's tons of pictures of this and uh, there's a link to the, um, if you go to impactfashionnyc.com, you'll see it. It's right there at the top of the site. Um, and you can search for the All-American Dress and you'll see in all of the photos there that the the back part of the placket is much wider. So you have that extra coverage. And that was really important to me. And that it's like, that's really, that's the hack that kind of solves this button down issue in a lot of ways. And then, of course, I added, you know, there's plenty of length and the bottom hem band is fully doubled over. So there's plenty to let down. The dress, of course, has pockets because what is a perfect shirt dress without pockets? Um, And then I made it in denim because I had to replace the denim dress in my closet. And who doesn't love an amazing and fantastic denim dress? And that's the all-American dress. It's got your classic shirt dress details, like a collar. It has a slightly puffed sleeve with... um, with a great little cute bow at the sleeve hem because I'm always going to go for something that's just a tiny bit girly, just a little bit, not too much, sophisticated, but oh, it's so cute. That That is one of my favorite details. And lots of really nice gold stitching detail as well because you want to keep it that classic all-American denim shirt dress kind of look. So that's the all-american dress you can see it at impactfashionnyc.com like everything else in my collection it is available in sizes 2 through 24 and yeah that's it um it's it's always good to get to give this little peek behind the curtain and i hope that you enjoyed i hope that you enjoy hearing about the process as much as i enjoy the process um 
and and that has also been you know really interesting one thing that I did want to quickly address is that you know I don't know why this is true I really have no idea why and I personally did not grow up this way so I I'm, I'm probably not the most qualified to really even speak on this but um plenty of people have told me that they grew up with or always thought that denim was a not modest thing um that you don't that you shouldn't wear denim I I, I don't know where that came from <laughs> someone asked if I could find a source for it uh to be perfectly honest I didn't look um a quick google search did not let me in on anything you know didn't nothing was nothing was apparent and I didn't want to keep looking and mainly because I know it would make me mad and it would probably be stupid but I will say this when you when I hear things like that my reaction is usually that sounds like something that that sounds like something that maybe someone said at one point and you know me and maybe at one point it was considered true or not classy or whatever um I, so I just want to end off with saying that if you love something, wear it. And that's that. If you love something, wear it. Enjoy wearing it. Really, that's that's it. Wear it and enjoy it. And and I and I and I hope that and I hope that in some way my designs can be a part of that. Um, can can be a part of that for you. So. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the All-American Dress, you can go to impactfashionnyc.com. It's currently online in sizes 2 through 24, and you can see it there under dresses or search for it. Um, it's, it's quite easy to, to find. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. You can access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 13 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant dash parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rivki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.